What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or do you not know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We are therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. We have been united with him like this in his death. We will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. May the Lord give us an understanding of these words that we have read. Let us pray. Our Father, this is your word, and we ask that those who believe in Jesus Christ hear it today, and their ears proclaimed that they would be built up in the grace which is in Christ Jesus. And that those who do not know you savingly, those who do not trust you as you are offered in the gospel, that by hearing this word, they might understand and their hearts would be open to receive an understanding and respond to it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why is it so that the death and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is so important to us? The fact that the Bible emphasizes in this passage that the death and the resurrection of Christ Jesus is the source of both our justification and our sanctification and our righteousness. That's why. Without the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, these things, righteousness, sanctification, and justification in the eyes of God would not have been possible for us. Which means that the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the source of us being accepted by God the Father. It is the source of us being counted, and that's where this word imputing comes from, counted. Not guilty by the Father, but being given the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is the source of us being forgiven. It is also the source of our transformation. Not only we are we accepted as righteous now, but we are transformed increasingly into the righteousness by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this has got nothing to do with infusion. It's, it's got something to do with the growth of our spiritual life so that we would 
conform more and more to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because his resurrection for the believer is the fountain of new life. And the apostle makes it very clear here. Therefore, the question that we find in verse 6, of chapter 1 of verse 6, shall, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And this, this verse can be easily misunderstood. Let's just follow the argument coming out of the rest of the previous chapters from, from Romans. And it goes like this. The apostle is referring to the grace of God in Jesus Christ in a world where all fall short of the glory of God and there is no righteous, no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands no one who seeks God. And further he declares, there is no one who seeks God. And then he states, the law was added so that the trespass may increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Now when he says that, that some people might then from the side say, okay Paul, now I understand that. What I need to do is I need to go on sinning. Because the, the, the bigger sinner I am, the more grace I need. You, you see the point? That's where he then says in verse six, uh, chapter, one, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound? It's based on this statement, the law was added so that the trespass may increase. But where the sin increased, grace increased all the more. What the apostle says here is this. He said, it, it doesn't matter how great a sinner you are. Grace is always greater than that. But he does not say, well, keep on sinning. Because something happened with you when you became a Christian. And therefore, you know, sometimes you do things when you... I don't know if you do that. I, I, I think a lot when I mow the lawn. And, and yesterday afternoon I was mowing the lawn. And I, and I thought about this over and over again. That um, this unconditional call of the Lord some there is this there is this saying that the Lord loves you just as you are is that true or false the Lord loves you just as you are he loves you unconditionally is that true or not? Well, of course it is true in that sense that the Lord does not want you to go through all exercises and jump through all hoops to, to improve yourself. 
so that the Lord would eventually then think of you better than what you are. And therefore he will save you because you have become a better person. I'll get to that later. It does not, well it then means this. As a lady walked into my office one day and she said to me, I, I need to talk to you, she said, because everything that I've done in my life is now behind me and it's just chasing me into a corner. And I explained to her the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and she said, but you don't know me. You don't know the things that I've done in my life. It's easy for you to say that the Lord will forgive me. But I don't think he will. Because I've not told you half of what I've done. And I assured her from the Bible that it doesn't matter what you have done in the past. If you come to the Lord, he forgives. He loves unconditionally. But it's also true that the Bible is very clear about it. Although the Lord loves you unconditionally, when you come to Him and when He saves you, He puts conditions on you. He puts a standard on our life. Therefore, the, the, the logic of this is you come to the Lord and you, and, and you understand that you are forgiven by grace. It changes your life. It changes your life. You just cannot carry on sinning as if nothing had happened. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. There are people even within our, in our day, in other churches, and I must say, if I then can say, uh, in, the Roman, in the Roman church, there is this idea that you cannot preach grace this way. As if people are saved by grace and grace only because you will contribute to them just keep on sinning because grace becomes so cheap. You see, the argument is this. The idea is that our works contribute nothing to, be, to being accepted by God but that God justifies us freely as we simply trust on Jesus Christ and if we simply believe in Him. But Paul, you see, your kind of teaching will lead people to live in immoral and godless ways. It will lead the people to dishonor the law of God and not strive after godliness and holiness. Paul, your teaching will lead people down the wrong road because they will continue to sin so that God's grace can abound in them. That's the argument. And Paul says, by no means, and he uses the strongest negative found in the Greek language. So when you, when you turn this argument around and look at the flip side it's a Paul you have to you have to understand that we have to do something in order to be saved we are saved by grace but then on the other hand we have to add to grace a lot of good works it's not by faith alone 
It is not by grace alone. It is by faith and by grace plus works. If the Bible were teaching that justification was by faith plus works, nobody could have said to Paul, well, shouldn't we continue to sin so that the grace might increase? And if he were teaching justification by faith plus works, it would make perfect sense where works fit into the scheme of things. So you've got these two arguments. Those who'd say, well, since I am only saved by grace and I cannot continue anything, or I cannot contribute anything, let's just continue with the sin. And then there are others who would say, no, it's not true. We are saved by grace, but we have to do some other things. And the Bible says, no, you don't have to do other things, but you have to do good works. So have I got you confused now? I hope so, because from now on, we can work uh, towards uh, some uh, solution here. Do we contribute to our salvation by adding good works to it? No. Are we saved by adding good works to our salvation? No. Now what then? We are called to live a holy life and live a life because we are saved. Now what's the logic of the argument here? The Apostle Paul is very clear about that. And I, and I want to, as soon as I lose you, just put up your hand. I will go through this again because this is the difference between grace and good works. This is the difference between imputation and infusion, which can sometimes be nothing but confusion. There are so many people, including Presbyterians, and let me, let me tell you that, I've worked a fair bit of my life with Presbyterians. As a matter of fact, I've been in the ministry now for, I don't know, 30 years and a bit more. And I've only worked with Reformed people. And Reformed people, as good as they are, keep telling you when you ask them about their relationship with the Lord, how are you going in your relationship and service to the Lord? What do people say? 99% of the time. Well, I try my hardest and with that we are back in Catholicism you can never try hard to be saved if you mean to say that I try hard to, 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 uh, to uh, honor God who saved me to become more and more obedient because he saved me that's something different Can we continue in sin? No, by no means. Why not? To continue to live in sin is a contradiction of grace and His purposes in our life. So may I just ask this question to you so we know where we stand. Are you a Christian? 
Are you saved in the blood of the Lamb of Passover who raised again on the third day? Do you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ on that Friday morning outside the city of Jerusalem died for you? And that the grave was left empty on the following first day of the week so that God would declare you not guilty and free of sin and the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that? Well, I hope so. And if you're not absolutely sure about this, we need to talk about it. And you're mostly welcome to call me and we can pray and talk about those things. But how can anyone who is a Christian even think of asking the question like, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Listen to the statement. We who died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? And to now to make just a statement, how did we die in sin? How did we die in sin? Imputation, which means that God declared us righteous. It is an utter contradiction to go on sinning a life to live a life of sin having died to it. In other words, the, Paul is, the Apostle Paul is appealing to the identity of the believer. He's appealing to you who are, as he is saying, dead to sin. And now he uses the same word. Consider yourself dead to sin. The same word. Reckon yourself dead. Imputation, uh, 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 the imputation. It is as God looked at you and he saw that you were and I was completely and utterly sinful and therefore I had nothing within myself to save. And then he took the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he put that in my column. And he says, now you've got that. By faith you have to believe this. And when you by faith believe this, everything that God has given Christ becomes yours. His righteousness becomes yours. You, you, you follow me up to this point? Okay. Now he says, the next thing you need to understand is, consider yourself, reckon yourself. In other words, do the sums and get to some sort of conclusion here. Do the sums. And the sums is this. God has transferred the righteousness of Jesus onto you so that by faith you have what belongs to Jesus. So do the sums. You're dead now. You get the point? You are dead now. And that's why he says, consider yourself as one who has died to sin. That is what you are in Christ Jesus. 
Now, how could you possibly suggest that you can go on sinning in order to receive more grace when you are as a person who has died to sin? How did all of this happen? Well, God gave us the sacraments. And he says, the sacraments are a way in which we, by faith, accepted what Jesus did. Therefore, when we were baptized, we, we are baptized into Christ. And now, don't understand that, because that is, that's a Roman thing too, even when it comes to the, uh, the communion. That we once again take Christ and we offer him up and, and we crucify him all over again, every Sunday or three times a week or and all these. So that also I can apply the same thing and say, when I'm baptized, once again, I'm baptized in Christ who now dies for me and I die for him. That's not what it says in this chapter. What it says in this chapter is that 2,000 years ago, Christ died on the cross and he rose again. But now, by faith, I accept that. And what happened to Christ there, by faith, happens to me. And to me, a sign to understand that is the baptism and also the sacrament of the wine and the bread. That's the point that we want to make and what the apostle wants to make. We need to understand that the Bible does not teach us to think positively about the effects of the death of Jesus on the cross as if we, the more we think about it, the more we would become like Jesus. This is wrong. And I've heard it how many times over? We can never be like Jesus to trying to do his will. It doesn't matter how many holy Marys and how, or Hail Marys and how many our fathers we say per day or how many good things we do in a day or a month in a row, we will not overcome sin on the basis of positive thinking. The only thing we can do is say, Lord, I am a sinful person. And the only thing I can do is trust you. When I trust him that way, for my life, for my salvation, for his glory, so that he would give me justification, everything that Jesus did becomes mine by faith. And that changes it. That changes everything. It changes the way in which I think. It changes the way in which I, I live. I'm dead. That's what the apostle says. Think about it. Consider yourself. Do the sums. You say you're a Christian. You partake of the wine and the bread. You baptized. Baptism doesn't save, but baptism gives you that sign over and over and over and over again. Like the bread and the wine, every time we sit and at the table of the Lord, I say, I'm righteous because of the righteousness of Jesus. I'm saved because of the salvation of Jesus. And that makes a difference in my life. Yet God saves unconditionally. But when I live in a relationship with Him, He calls me to holiness. And that changes my life so next time 
I'm faced with these things and the devil knocks on my door and he wants to, to tempt me in, into things that are wrong and not God honoring. What do I think? I need to stand and say, well, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm, I've died to sin. How do I know that? Well, God declared me dead in Christ Jesus, but he, he declared me alive. Alive for what? To good works. To live to glory of God. So, maybe I've, had, I've said it before, but if, if, if this happens and the devil knocks on your door and he says, well, what about this and what about that? And he tried to tempt you and you say, you're at the wrong address. Sorry. This is the morgue. I'm dead. For you, I'm dead. I, I, I don't live anymore. Why? By faith, I've accepted what Jesus Christ has done for me. And therefore, I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive for Christ. I'm not saved by my good works. But as a saved man and as a saved woman, I can't go without the good works. I think it was Calvin who said, salvation is without works. We are saved by grace alone. But he also said, saved people cannot go without good works. Not in that sense that we are now earning our good works. But that we show with our life and our dedication that we have died to sin and we are now alive in Christ. And I, I must say, I, it, took me, it took me years in my spiritual life to understand what this means. And I'm not trying to make it difficult for you. Not in, in no way. If you understand it, thank God for it. Uh, but, but really, you have to, you have to uh, think about these things. And the more you think about it, the clearer the Lord will make it to you. So that you will never get confused between what you should be doing because you are saved and what you should be doing in order to be saved. I, I hope you understand this. So, does God love us unconditionally? Yes and no. Does God save unconditionally? Yes and no. He saves you and he does not tell you and he, and he does not require of any one of us to go and improve ourselves and come and say, well, Lord, look at me now. He says, I take you just as you are. So don't go out to church this morning and say, well, I think I need to try to be a better Christian a bit harder. Maybe the Lord will save me then. But when you decide to follow the Lord, you die. You die.
Does God love you unconditionally? Well, if you experience the love of God, your life's going to change. And that's the point. You saved by grace, you're dead. You walk out here, a new person. And that person lives to the glory of God. Have I made this clear? I hope so. I trust so. And, 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 and let's trust the grace of God through his Holy Spirit to bring to you all the more this thing. When I was pushed into the swimming pool one day, and I was about that high, I almost drowned. <clears throat> I can remember battling and gulping for air. And the more I tried to touch the bottom of the swimming pool just to see if that could help, the harder it got. And then, and I think it's also the grace of God, just before you drown, just before that moment that you, that you think that's it, you relax. And you know what happens then? You start to float. You just don't go to the bottom of the swimming pool straight away. But the more you struggle with it, the harder the struggle. But the moment you just say, okay, that's it, I give up, you survive. That might be a very weak and bad example as to say, well, give up being good in order to be saved. Die to yourself and God will take over. And when he takes over, it all becomes possible. It all becomes possible. And he saves. He saves by grace only. And he sends you into this world and he says, live a life as someone who's been saved. May God give us that grace and understanding and to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen.